0: No, Dirk, <clears throat> Jenna, your speaker's off. Hi, (laughs) Lee. Hi, Jenna. Hello, everyone. Hello, Lee. Hey, Salome. Hey, Lee. Hello, Jordan. So, how is it going? How are you? Good. Good. Hi, everybody. You couldn't make it yesterday to class? I had such a bad headache last night, so I just decided to like. Oh, okay. How was it? It was great. It was actually really good. It was on uh, the Tehilim 126. Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. It was, it was nice. It's the one that we say right before Birkat Amazon. Oh, nice. oh yeah. Mm-hmm. If you want, I can send you a quick summary. I sent one to Sarah. Oh, yeah, I'd love one. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Lee, where's your daily Tanya? Lee? Nina! Hello. Put it up. What is... Okay, good. I'm waiting. Stay tuned. For anyone who wants daily Tanya and yom Yum <laughs> I like Lee, I liked the person on your Instagram who did the imitation of you doing your honey. Yeah, I did too. That was so, so cute. Hello, Nayola. Hi guys. How are you feeling? Are you feeling hello. better? Yeah. Cute. Yeah, thank God I'm feeling much better. Yay! Hi, Yuna! Hi! Hi, guys! It's so good to see you! Oh! oh beautiful! Sure enough, awesome. Hey! Hi! <laughs> guys, you know, there are so many people that actually there are three different pages. <laughs> really? I have so many more. Really? I don't know, well, I think it depends on the screen maybe. Yeah. Oh, okay. that makes sense. <laughs> <fun. laughs> uh, good to be in class with y'all. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, yes. Doing a bunch of stuff at the same time right now, like two computers. <laughs> 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 Why have I got the worst quality? Yeah, Jordan, like you're so. Oh, there you go. You fixed it. <laughs> is it better? Yeah, it
1: is. It's like a swipe
0: of blurry. It. That's so funny. Yeah. My mom made me cover the camera, so I have to take it. <sighs> I'll figure that out after. Rivka Maragas said, "Yella, Yeah. <laughs> on the chat. <laughs> okay, let's see. Do you know what the class is going to be about? I think I something to do with Pesach. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. I guess. Oh, Jamie's on Benyahuda. <laughs> <laughs> It just like automatically goes at this point. Paint it to a piece of matzah, your background. Jamie, don't catch Corona on Ben Yehuda. <laughs> I really hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see the Shook, take us to the Shook. Yeah, you wanna go to the Shook? Kaya, you can see the same Shook as her if you look on your pictures. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> Rabbi. Hello? Hello, Rabbi. Hello. Okay. Where's <laughs> the lot of picked except them. Huh? Oh, yeah. I said. Okay. One second. Okay, so for tonight's class, what we're gonna be doing is having a discussion, and discussions, most of me talking, but anyway. um, At the difference between the wine that we drink at the Seder, four cups of wine versus the matzah. These are two very central aspects of the Seder night, that we eat matzah and we drink four cups of wine and we're going to have a little bit of a look at what the, what has to say is the difference um, between aspects of the Seder and also how they're not just different but they in fact complement each other. So, first a little bit of background. The four cups of wine is a rabbinic commandment. It's a midr It's not a mitzvah from the Torah. In those of you go looking for the verse that says that you should have four cups of wine at the Seder night, you will not find it. It's an enactment of the sages. And there's some discussion in the Talmud and in the commentaries as to what is the basis, what now that the rabbis use to enact this um, mitzvah of drinking four cups. Now, the most often cited view, which is found, is that the four cups of wine correspond to the four expressions that God used when He promised to redeem us from Egypt. Um, Hashem tells Moshe that He's going to redeem us from Egypt, and He uses four different expressions and I will redeem them. Veitzalti, uh, and I will save them. the and I will redeem, uh, redeem them. So, sorry, I mistranslate Veitseis, I will take them out. The I'll take them out. The hitzalti, and I will save them. The gaalti, and I will redeem them. The lachti Lila amen and I will take them to be my nation. So these four expressions, which are used to describe the exodus, in order to commemorate that, um, the sages enacted drinking four cups of wine. Now, I have reasons, but this is usually the most reason. Now, the reason why matzah. That's actually a biblical commandment. Already in Egypt, the Jews were commanded to eat matzah. Um, Even before they left Egypt, they had the first day, actually not commemorating the Exodus, but preparing for the Exodus. And we have an eternal mitzvah to eat matzah every Pesach at the Seder night. Now, with regard to the matzah, we don't have four matzahs at the Seder. We actually have three matzahs. Um, The reason the the straightforward, the most obvious reason is that like every Shabbos and holiday, you need to have two loaves of bread. In order to make the hamotzi at the meal, you need two whole loaves of bread. So that requires you to have two matzas. And the mitzvah to say over the story, to recite the Haggadah, is to say it over a piece of broken matzah. So we have a broken piece of matzah as well. In fact, the, the practice is that we start out with three matzahs, and then we break one of them, the middle matzah, um, the breaking symbol, we save part of it for later, just like a poor person doesn't eat all of their food right. Now. And then we use that other piece of, so half of that matzah is the famous haffekum, and the other half of that matzah is left on, on this uh, seder, um, depending on the custom, under the seder plate, over the plate, depending on There's the different views of how to do it. And that piece of matzah is, so to speak, the matzah with which we say the Haggadah. We, we're saying the Haggadah, over this piece of matzah, much the same when we make kiddush over a couple more. So we have matzahs for a very technical reason. You need two whole loaves when you actually eat them, plus you need to have this partial piece of matzah, this, this broken piece of matzah to say the Haggadah. Now, commentaries have a question, which is why is it, that we don't institute having four matzahs just so we have four cups of wine we should have four matzahs if after all the exodus the is something that is associated with the number four then we should have four matzahs now what we're going to do is we're going to look at the approach of chassidus answering this why is it that the wine is celebrated Adil, please be quiet thank you the wine is celebrated using the number four and the matzah is associated with the number three. So in order to understand this, we need to first think a little bit about these four expressions, okay? The three expressions. Um, again, the first one being, let see, I will take them out. The second one being, I will save them the third one being the gaalti, and I redeemed them. These three expressions all are something that takes place in Egypt. Right? They're all about saving the Jewish people, redeeming the Jewish people, taking them out of the slavery of Egypt. Okay? They're about the transition from being subjugated to the Egyptians to being free of that, okay? to being in Egypt and leaving Egypt. So all of those things actually happened already on that. In contrast, the fourth expression, I'll take them to be fruition, that actually doesn't really take place on Pesach. The point at which the Jewish people become the nation of God is actually when they stand at Harsin, and they stand at Sinai and they receive the Torah, which actually is the point of Yetzirah Simon. Mean, I'm sure everybody knows the uh, famous expression, Moshe tells Paro over and over, let my people go, everyone's heard this expression yes the god of the hebrew says let my people go there's a there's a continuation of that expression which is not let my people not just let my people go but so that they serve me right so that they can uh, and so the idea is that the jewish people are supposed to leave egypt go to Har-Sinai, go to mount sinai accept the torah and become his nation and so that fourth expression that i will take them f- to be a nation for me that would take place when they leave Egypt. That only takes place after four and seven weeks when they finally get to Har Sinai and they accept the Torah. So we have to distinguish between the redemption which in principle eight has four dimensions to it um, versus what actually takes place in Egypt, which is only three expressions leaving Egypt, God takes us out of Egypt, saving us from the slavery of Egypt, redeeming us from the servant. Now, what's the difference between what takes place in Egypt and what takes place at Mount Sinai? So, when the Jewish people were in Egypt, the things that happened, or actually the most significant thing that happened, was that the Jewish people became subjugated to the Egyptians. Now, we all are familiar with the idea that they had to work, they had to build treasure cities, they had to, were physically enslaved and tortured. And while all that is true, the significant thing was that they actually became subjugated to the Egyptians' spirit. Meaning that just like you have a person, um, every person has an animal soul. And that animal soul tries to get them to do things that they should not be doing or to do things, or not to do things that they should be doing. And sometimes that animal soul succeeds. Sometimes the animal soul, soul, the animal soul fails. Okay? But a person can sink to such a low state. It's not even a conflict if they should um, give in to the animal soul or not, but the animals become the master and the entire life is merely one of subjugation of servitude to the the animal soul. So, when a person is in that state, one of the things that happens is that, that, that it's not some that they're doing the wrong, thing, doing the right things. They're in an awareness that, the, that their behavior needs to improve. They are totally uh, dominated. By the negativity, by the animal soul, and that being there, really is not very much for them to do. They traditionally, we tend to think that if you have a problem, you should work on it. Right? Um, I'll let you know one of my personal pet peeves is when people get around and they start discussing Pesach time about their limitations and how we have to get out of patience and free ourselves of our limitations and get out of our limitations and. Were now, in the story in Mitzrayim in Egypt, how did the Jewish people get out of their Mitzrayim, their limitations, their, their obstacles, their hindrances, the things that were holding them back? Does anyone know how they actually got out of Egypt? What did they do? They, they were taken. taken. They were the taken. Away. Well, so they did as they, they, they said he's taking them out. They were willing to follow him. They demonstrated the willingness to follow God, right? loyalty to God. God said, I'm going to take you out. This is what I want you to do. Please uh, not sign on the dotted line, but smear some blood on your doorposts as if you're willing to follow me. Okay. But there was no working through things. Okay? When a person is really subjugated, When a person is really being controlled by something, they've sunk that low, there isn't something that they can do to work on themselves. They have to actually be to be saved. They have to be evacuated from the situation, right? And that's what what, what it says. It says, I will take you out. I will evacuate you, right? Emergency evac. And I will save you. Right? The Gawaiti will redeem you. Right? It does not a process of the Jewish people working on themselves and processing why is this difficult and how am I going to overcome it? Not that those are bad things, but if you can work through it of your own effort, then you're not really enslaved to it. You're not really subdued by it. And the, what they just put is that the Jewish people had sung to the 49th gate of impurity. Um, there are fifty gates. The difference between the between the 49th and the 50th is that in the 49th, there is something something left sa- to save, something worth saving. Something sinks to the 50th level of impurity than um, to borrow an expression from the laws of, kosher, of koshering pots. The only way to cure it is to break it. Um, certain things, there is nothing sensible. The only way to improve is just to annihilate and destroy. Something which has sunk that low to the fiftieth purity, there's nothing left to say. So the Jewish people had sunk so low that there was basically almost nothing left to save. Or another way of saying is so that God um, redeemed them in a blink of an eye. Had they stayed even a moment longer, there would have been um, nothing left to redeem. So we're talking about people who have so much be- bought into the Egyptian notion of what life felt, what, what it means to exist, um, what a human being is, that God needs to come and rescue them. God needs to come and save them. And that's not just a physical servitude, that's spiritual, that's a mental thing. In a similar way, everybody has those areas in their life where the animal soul is so dominant and so in control that... On a day to day the person doesn't even see anything wrong with it. The person has become completely acclimated to that this is normal. Um, and there's nothing for them to really improve because they've become a slave to that aspect of the animal soul. Not, not that we're slaves to the animal soul entirely, but at least in certain respects we are. And so the redemption is really something that's happening on, um, to the Jewish people. God is the one redeeming us, and we're just the recipients. So that's what happens in Egypt. Now, like I said at the beginning, the point of the Exodus is to actually bring us to Harsian. I so say we should receive the Torah. If that's the case, the question is we'll walked away 20 uh, uh, 49 days. And the reason is that while the point of the, sign of the Exodus is to receive the Torah, the Jewish people were not actually positioned to receive the Torah. Yeah. Um, to, to use an analogy for this. Okay? If, somebody, if somebody is drowning, okay, they're out in the sea and they're drowning and the light jumps into the, into, into the water and rescues them, what does this drowning person need? What is, what, 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 in order for this rescue operation to be successful, what does the drowning person actually need to do? What's, it, what's their participation? Anyone who's a lifeguard should be able to answer this. To breathe. No, do not breathe. (laughs) Breathing can, you know, sometimes breathing can drown you. You Breathe when your head's underwater. a Bad idea. Anyone else know? Fight back? Not fight back. Let the life that they're doing stop struggling. It's actually hard. It's hard. It's right, remain still, allow the other person to save you, right? I'm seeing some very good. Obey the instructions. Stop scrambling to save yourself. You're just making it worse, right? Let the lifeguard take over and follow the directions. That's it, okay? Can you take a person in that mental state? That's the issue. They're going from panicking, that they're trying to gulp for air, that they could drown themselves, they're struggling and they're, 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 they're. waving their arms and legs and to remaining still to allow to be saved. Can you take a person who's in that mental state and immediately start teaching them how to be a lifeguard? No, because in order to teach a person how to be a lifeguard, right? They have to be in, in a state where they're capable of, of, of developing a skill and learning and exuding confidence, right? It's an entirely different state of affairs. Right? So in one, in, one, in one state, the relationship with the lifeguard is you let the lifeguard dictate just passively follow, passively allow yourself to be safe. The other thing is you could have an expert lifeguard take you, train you to be a lifeguard yourself where their lifeguard is imparting to you their skill, their knowledge, etc., And you can't just flip a switch and go from one state to the other state. There has to be a process of, you know, cleaning yourself up and getting confidence and motivation and all what's necessary in order to make the lifeguard student. In a similar sense, when a person is enslaved, how do they get out of it well, God has to redeem them, but what's required on their part? What's their participation? Because they have to allow God to save them. When I, what does it mean to allow God to save you? It doesn't mean just mean going back like this, Right? Oh, that's not what happens. Work. What does a person need to do in order for God to save you? Anyone know? Be willing to be saved, okay. Surrender. Okay, so the the immuna. These are all. These are all. These are all true. But but one important element is missing. Is that these are our mental things, and we have a tendency to open open to mental things without thinking about the the physical correlate. What I this? Okay, if I'm really open to God saving me. I, I'm trusting that he's going to do it. You know, jumping into the sea is a later step. Jumping in the sea happens seven days later. That's not during the exodus. Um, if I'm really willing to do that, then that means that that willingness has to translate into my actual behavior. So if you think in Egypt, well, not that I'm saving, but here, here's what you have to do. You have to take a sheep which was worshipped as an idol by the Egyptians. And you have to take it and hold on to it for a few days. And when the Egyptians ask you what you're going to do, you're slaughtering it in order that God should redeem us so that you'll have to tell the Egyptians face to face that you're going to kill their idol. You're going to kill their deity as a sacrifice to your God. Okay, Then, right? you have to eat some matzah, put the blood on the doorpost, right? pack your bags and be ready. If you, right, so it's not just that there's a willingness and a mental, it actually translates into behavior. If you want to go all the way back to the, the person drowning at sea, right, it's not just to let the person save you. When the person says struggling, you have to physically stop struggling. They say, hold this, you have to hold this. They say, like, you know, you know put your arm around me, then you have to put your arm around me. You. you have to actually translate that, that trust, that willingness to follow, that surrender, as you put it, into actual if we want God to save us we want God to redeem us right there is a mental letting go a mental surrendering a mental willingness to follow but that has to actually translate into actually follow right so that surrender turns into actual behavior of, of, of you know doing the mitzvahs as we're supposed to do it not because I appreciate them not because I um they resonate with me. In fact, they very much not. I may very much feel like the person bounding at sea that oh, all I want to do is my arms and take deep gulps. But nonetheless, I turn over kind of authority over myself to the lifeguard and he saves me. I turn authority over my conduct over to God and I conduct myself directs. And through that, God redeems me. God takes me out of my limitations, my issues, my problems. But in that state a person has very much shut off any of their functioning, right? The person is very, uh, a a, a very small image, they're just following along, they're just, I don't know if this is the right expression, but going along to get along, if you will, That's not a state where a person is a recipient to be imparted wisdom, to receive um, 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 knowledge and, and be transformed into something else, right? As we all know that when you, really want to, when you really want to learn something, you have to approach it with a sense of confidence that you can understand it, that you can implement a willingness to work hard, um, to ask questions, um, and to cultivate yourself a different um, talents and aptitudes to actually bring about a certain skill set or a knowledge base um, to make yourself well versed in whatever it is that you want to master. And so if someone is trying to impart mastery over something, whether it's over a craft or 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 a profession, or in this case, you know, a a a a way of living as a divine being, that requires a person to come with all of their fact fully functional, fully active, fully immersed in what they're doing. That is not the kind of state where a person is is, 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 is shutting down, so to speak, and handing over the keys of their life to someone else because someone has the, the tools necessary to save them from what they can't handle themselves. And so the, the, the difference in mental spiritual state of the exodus, of it isn't in Egypt, and standing at Harsinah to receive the Torah is so vastly different that there's a growth process between, which is the counting of the Omer. And if you don't go through the growth process, then you can't really become uh, a recipient of that wisdom, of that knowledge. And that's why there are 49 days between the exodus and receiving the Torah, between Tzim and Tzim and Because they were at 49 levels of impurity, they have to raise themselves out of it, they have to work through that. They have to change how they experience themselves and develop that, um, that, that confidence, that aptitude, that willingness to implement things, um, work through things that they don't and that they don't resonate until so they can actually um, be a worthy God, which is what the Jewish people are about Sinai. So, the difference therefore, between the first three, and the last one where Shem says, I'll take you as my nation, it, it's a huge difference. The first three, all that's being asked of the Jewish people is to submit to God's direction, surrender, turn over the keys to your life and follow God and he will save you. But the last one, taking us as his nation requires us to raise ourselves up and to be of that, to be capable of that on our own terms. Right? And that's a very different kind of an approach, a very different kind of mind. Now, what does this have to do with matzah and what does it have to do with wine? So matzah According to Allah, matzah has to be tasteless. Now, tasteless goes in quotes. There, there are different kinds of tastes, as we're gonna to get to later in the class. But by tasteless, um, there's, there, there, there's nothing about the matzah that can um, be, how should I put this, appealing. Culinarily, there just has to be, there's flour and water and that's it. If you add anything, salt, sugar, eggs, oil, fruit juice, whatever, you add anything to make a a, a tasty thing, then you invalidated the matzah. It it might still be matzah but you can't do the mitzvah with it. So if if you want to think about it like this, we all know that challah, traditionally challah has like a lot of ingredients like eggs and sugar and stuff to make it all very tasty. It's like some challahs start crossing the line between bread and cake, right? So matzah is the exact opposite. Flour, water, literally nothing else. We don't even dip the matzah in in salt. So we don't have anything that actually the taste of it. Um, It should be as bland as can be. I um, mean, certainly, it shouldn't rise, and rising has two elements. Rising, one thing anyone who makes dough knows that when the dough actually um, changes the taste of the dough, um, which is why sourdough bread tastes different than yeast bread, right? Because the rising process is different, um, and it also is, expands, right? It it, it 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 becomes of a greater volume, and so you have matzah that just have the flour and water. There's no enhancement. There's no taste. There's nothing that's supposed to be particularly visible. There's no expansion. There's no growth. There's just take it for what it is. And actually, I'll say that the reason why we eat matzah is because when Hashem revealed himself, the dough did not have the opportunity to rise, to become chametz. Okay? The idea being that God's revelation precludes us from having any real active involvement. It's kind of like, you know, using that energy. again. The lifeguard is saving you from drowning, right? Your involvement is basically reduced to follow instructions. Right. And so matzah symbolizes that surrender, that that um um what's I, I would use the word bitl, but the problem is that everything in Khsidis is bitl. It's a kind of bitl. It's 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 a it's a it's a bit of acknowledging that you're not the one running the you're supposed to just be a follower, not a leader, right? You're supposed to just um, play the role that you're told to play and don't mess things up along the way, right? Just like the person who a lifeguard. And that obviously requires a willingness and a surrender and a trust and all of that, but, but, it's, but it's very much limited to that. That's what matzah symbolizes. Um, whereas wine, wine specifically is supposed to be something that's enjoyable. Um, the actual halacha is that preferably, assuming that there's health complications, whether a person has uh, physical issues with drinking alcoholic wine or they have mental health issues with drinking alcoholic wines, but assuming it's being equal, that they can get through the entire seder, it is proper to actually have wine that's alcoholic, not use grape juice, because the idea is that wine is supposed to be um, something that the person enjoys, the person knows how to handle themselves. the person can, can um, control their drinking on their own and someone else do it for them. Um, and wine Kabbalist is associated with the sphere of being of understanding, of comprehension. Um, which is why it's also associated with the joy, that when you really understand something, you appreciate it, um, makes sense to you on your terms, that brings a person to a state of joy, a state of enthusiasm. And so the wine really is kind of, in a certain sense, the opposite of matzo. The wine is supposed to be um, a very expansive, opening, pleasurable um, experience, whereas the matzo is really the exact opposite. And so now it would make sense that that We would have three matzahs and four cups of wine, because the three of those expressions are about God saving us in Egypt, where we are just passive recipients, we are just following instructions, we're just going along with what he says, and he's doing all the work, that's much like the matzah, whereas... The fourth expression, the culmination of what that all four is really to find us to Mount Sinai, where, where we're Torah, and then we do appreciate things, where we do get things, then we're, we're, we, are, we are active participants in our own terms, taking the godly wisdom and knowledge that's been given to us and implement lives. And that is a that is a cause for celebration, that's something that's supposed to Resonate with us, and so therefore, that's represented by the wine. And since that's the culmination of this fourth step process, so we drink four cups of wine. So, I'm going to summarize again why are there four cups of the fourth level? Why not one? So, I'm going to say it very briefly, but this is just part one. Part two is going to complicate things. The reason is because the entire of God redeeming us in, in the three steps in Egypt is to bring to the fourth step, to bring to the fact that we stand on Mount Sinai and receive the Torah, which means that in a certain sense, um, even though in Egypt, we don't necessarily have kind of joy and enthusiasm just following along, but hidden within that, since it's all about our Sinai, really, Once we get to that fourth step, we're celebrating all four because all four is part of this process which brings us there. Now, more about that in the second half of the class. So to summarize the key point, there's an aspect of the redemption which is we are more passive following along what God says and that's associated with the number three. Three of those expressions really convey that idea. God takes us out of Egypt. All we do is, God saves us from the slavery. All we do is follow what he says. God redeems us from the bondage. All we do, again, is follow along what he says. But then the fourth, where he takes us to be his nation, requires us to be worthy and us to grow and us to be capable of internalizing and, and appreciating the divine wisdom and knowledge that's been going, to, going to be given to us in our Sinai. So that, since the fourth is associated with that, personal development of growth, which is symbolized by the wine. So therefore, we drink wine four cups rather than three cups. Matzah three, wine four. Okay. Now, that's part one. That's the easy part. So if anyone has any questions about the, what I actually said, not how it fits with something else, then we should clear those things up now before I move to the comp- more complicated section. So if anyone I think you guys can unmute yourself, right. um, I have a question. Yeah. Um, is it possible to, to like flesh out a little more the difference between the, the like humility of um, Pesach and Shavuos? Um, is it possible to flesh it out more? I can give you an. I can give you. I can give you another analogy. What child, and you're learning your ABCs, right? The proper way to learn your ABCs is when your teacher says A B C D, e, right? And you just repeat A B C D. When your teacher points at a symbol says so this is an A, you should just say that's an A, Right. Right. It, it, right? The, no one is asking you to do anything more complicated than that, right? When you're trying to get your PhD in English literature, right, that's kind of the other end of the spectrum, right? If you just, it's someone else's thesis, that's called plagiarism, right? You have to produce your own work, right? It's literally the opposite. You, in other words, in, in, in the beginning stages of the English language, you are simply following instructions and deferring to so what someone else says. And you're, you're literally repeating. They say A, you say A. They point to the symbols and it's an A, you learn, okay, that's an A. The end of that process, you know, academically speaking, right? If you've mastered the English to such an extent that you are actually able to contribute a new perspective on the language that's the work of your own mind that other people or experts in language recognize as being a contribution body of knowledge. Right? Now, those are very, very different. Right? and nobody can make the mental switch of being in one state to another state overnight like that or instantaneously. Right? There's a process of working developing to go from one to the other. Okay? I'll, I'll give you just one other example. Um, when you start any new social position, it is very important to know exactly what are the rules of the role that you are playing and not to violate them. So I'm just gonna give you a list of roles, okay? And they each have their own rules, okay? Um, Student, teacher, employee, sales clerk, husband, wife father, mother, these are all different social roles. It's not an exhaustive list. And they all have their own rules. And granted, different cultures have slightly different rules for the roles, but let's set that aside. Whatever the culture is, then there are rules for that. And you should know what the rules are and make sure you follow those rules, okay? However, once you've been in that social role for an extended period of time, um, are you, should you be robotically the the, the rules of that role? And the answer is no. You should have developed your own appreciation of what that role really is about, and therefore you can, instead of following some sort of set of expectations, you can kind of follow your own conscience and your own guidance. Okay? One of the, this is where my social criticism comes in, one of the big downsides of living in the world that we live in is that we have very much um, eroded the idea of social expectations of roles, which what happens then in is into a new social role and they're often feeling they don't know what to do. I mean, How would they know what to do? They've never been in this role before. Well, you have clear social expectations of what this role entails. That gives a person a starting point, right? And in that point, they're just like that passive following, right? But that then gives them the ability to start sensitizing themselves what that role is really about. Yes, that later development is DAS. In fact, the beginning stages is quite explicitly called an, an "uni, a poor person. Like we say that matzah is poor man's bread. Then on Pesach, it's, 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 it's rich, like rich people drink wine. Uh, and the idea of rich and poor, the, gemar, the, the mission says, has to do with das. Yeah. So those are a few other ways of presenting the same idea. Uh, I chose the analogy of the, of the person being saved from drowning at sea because it fits kind of more precisely the idea of being saved from impurity rather than just something new according the other two examples. Okay. I mean, I guess you could be being saved ignorance, maybe, but it's not the same thing. Okay. Now, there is an important concept in Kabbalah is used in Chassidus. It's hinted to in other areas of Torah. It's very central in Kabbalah. In Kabbalah, numbers are not numbers. Numbers are words. Now, you'll find this in the Gemara, in the revealed parts of Torah, and find this in Chassidus a lot, but the place that really like enjoys this idea is in Kabbalah. Now, what do I mean that numbers are not numbers, numbers are words? Um, Numbers, so you say like one plus two equals three, right? So yeah, okay, I know what that means. I mean, you have one entity and then you have another two entities, you have a total of three entities, you know? Or I have one unit of something and then I have two more units of the same thing, units of the thing, right? Or whatever it is, right? But in Kabbalah, and again, this is hinted in the areas of Torah and also brought a lot consider this: Numbers are like words where words have ideas. Okay? So if I were to say something like um, independence um, plus responsibility equals freedom, right? we all understand that when we're saying add, ad, adding and, and equaling there, we don't mean it in the negative sense of like one plus two equals. Three. Someone who's independent and also has responsibility that freedom, you, know, you can disagree with that. I'm not saying that whether that's right or wrong. Um, I think it's right, but okay. Um, so in Kabbalah, every number is actually an idea, if not more than one idea. Okay. So we'll just use the easiest one for a second. The number two is conflict. And that should be self-explanatory, right? Because a conflict, I mean, of how many sides? Two. You can't have conflict with one side. Someone's going like this with their head. Do you care to laugh? Conflict with more than two sides? No. That's true, but conflict arises because of two sides. Necessitates two sides. Right. Right. Okay. In other words, you could have a three-sided conflict, but really, as any, as any family therapist will tell you, is that a three-sided conflict is just a bunch of two-sided conflicts overlaying each other. Right? So they make a little right? It's the father against the wife, against the father, and then the parents against the child, and then the husband and the son and the mother, and then the husband the mother and the son, right? That's, you know, and then you break each one, de-triangulate, right? Okay, fine. Um, so... If we have therefore the number three and the number four, the number three and number four are not just numbers, but the, but they actually are ideas, okay? Like I said, in Kabbalah, this is a major, major, major theme, but it's alluded to in other places in the Torah. Now, we use in Hebrew, we use letters for numbers, right? So, one, bays is two, gimel is three, dalet is four, yes? So, the Gemara actually says that um, Gimel, which is three, and Dalit, which is four, um, are like a rich person and a poor person. Okay? That the Gimel is called a Gimel because it's Gimel; it's bestowing, and that's why the Gimel looks like it's after the Dalit, to give it some stuff. And then the Dalit, although most Ashkenazim say Dalit has a D sound at the end, it's actually dalis, which is related to the word impoverished. So the idea is that guymel or gimel is the one who bestows on the dalis, the one who is impoverished. Okay. So the number three represents having and giving and bestowing. Number four represents risk because one is impoverished, which is why, right, we said before, Matzah, which is all about, about being impoverished, is the number, which number is it, three, <laughs> and wine, which is all about being enriched, is the number four, right, so everything is clear now, we have that clear, right, or it's all backwards, you didn't see that coming, thought it was all going to line up nicely. The reason is because it's all a matter of perspective. When we say bestowing and receiving, we have to actually think about this a little bit. When the, we're gonna, gonna, I mean, use the the example of, of, of giving something to a poor person. When the rich person is giving something to a poor person, there can be an emphasis on the rich person, there can be emphasis on the poor person. If the emphasis Person. and then the emphasis on that the, the risk gave something to the poor person. Okay. So, you know, I'm sure we've all had this experience where we, God is giving us, giving us but I'll get to that soon. We've all had this experience. We see something online, a worthy cause, and so we've decided that we are going to donate money and we donate some money. Have had that experience ever? Please nod your heads yes, otherwise it's embarrassing, okay. Once you do that and you hit the little like confirm or send button of your credit card number, and assuming you put in an amount that's you know, significant enough that you actually had to uh, you know, put some effort into it but not so bad at like guessing yourself, you feel pretty good about yourself, right? Like you just did a good thing. You gave something to someone who needs, right? So where's the emphasis? on you, the giver, right? Now, it's an entirely different, it's like there's a whole separate question, like how does that actually go get to the need of it? Right, or to the cause? And like how does that, help? like there's a whole behind the scenes thing of actually implementing so that the person actually gets the thing, right? Now, let me ask you a very simple question. If you hit, if you hit the send button and your, your credit card is charged, right? The poor person or the cause or whatever it is, how has their life been improved at that moment, really, in a way that they can experience? Not, not in principle. In principle, their life has been improved. The money, you know, it's, just a, it's a matter of getting them the money. But in principle, at that moment when you hit the scent, has their life been improved in any way at that moment in a way that they can experience? The answer is no. So you're sitting there feeling quite good about yourself. That you've helped this person, and they—they're in the same boat as they were before. On the other hand, right? By the time they get the assistance, the help, the call, right? At that right, a out for them, um, and their life is really mixed and improved. It's not really about, you like behind the scenes now. It's not really about you. If you wanna think about this in an educational context, okay? when do you really understand? When the teacher has stopped talking, you walked out of the classroom, you sit by yourself or with a friend, right? and you mull over what you have heard and try to make sense of it. Until it starts to sink in and you really, right? And that's when you truly become wiser and enlightened. Yeah. And where? what is the teacher doing then? The teacher's grocery shopping or whatever else, right? The teacher is giving a very engaging talk, right? And you are receiving this information, right? What's being highlighted is how much knowledge and wisdom and possible uh, charisma and, 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 and humor, whatever it is that the teacher has, and what you 're doing is basically just well that 's nice to the teacher and you 're enjoying your, but you don 't really walk out of that experience enriched in a real way. It was once a teacher gave a class at my note, it was an open class. Um, and I used to ask the students after the – it was an like open class in the evening. I would ask the students the next morning, how was yesterday's class? No, I was not talking. Not, not me. I was not the teacher. Um, I asked them how the class was. They were, they were, it was amazing. So what was it about? I don't remember. Consistently. Not because the teacher was a bad teacher, but the, the class was, was, was presented to be in mass and it was a wonderful experience, but the person walked out. The class was amazing. They are fundamentally the same. And so there is, a, there is a tension between whether the emphasis of a, of a transfer is on the beneficent beneficence of the giver or the real growth that the recipient has. Is it about how generous you are or how rich someone else's life has become? And there's a tension between those two things. So the idea is like this. Gimmel represents the focus on how kind, how beneficial the giver is, how much power they have, how much how much they're doing. And in that context, the recipient doesn't doesn't really grow, doesn't really gain. They um, they 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 are they're, they're deep fundamentally the same. Whereas dollar represents how do you actually work with the impoverished. Okay? I'll use a financial. Is everyone familiar with the difference between wealth and income? Income is how much money you make, right? But wealth is something else. Wealth is, you know, all of the resources that you have, right? So there are people, for an example of people that tend to be out of income, but tend to you know, if you look long-term at the life to be very wealthy, are sports players. Sports players, while they're playing, tend to make a lot of money. They also tend to spend a lot of money, right? You look at the you know, 20, 30 years afterwards in their lives, they tend not to be that much wealthier, okay? And then there are people who make, like most, most people who go to a, a, a very expensive college aren't, have, do not have tremendous income. They usually get an income often have a lot of wealth um, in terms of that they inherit and things like that. So there's a question in economics, which is how do you take a person who is not wealth, wealthy, and it turns out giving them a high paycheck is not, it's not, it's not good enough. Because just giving them money just means they have more money to spend, right? But wealth is something you build. You actually change the real status of the person, the resources they have at their disposal, um, and so having cash isn't good enough. How do you get the person to, you know, be, have the opportunity and the wisdom to invest that money in the right things so that it builds on itself, that they are wealthy and their children are wealthy. And that's actually a very clear thing. Or how do you take a student and don't just get them that they able to regurgitate the information to pass the test, but they have the same Wisdom, knowledge, breadth, and depth of understanding that allows them to be a contributor in the field, just like the teacher. How do you de impoverish? And it means working with them on their terms to actually figure out how to. Work. And so there's a difference between the gimbal and the dollar. When the giver is busy giving and it's about the give, then the recipient is very passive, right? And all they do is follow orders. All they do is um, regurgitate what they're being given. Okay. And this is the proverbial: give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Give a, a fish, you feed him for a lifetime." Right? Unless there's a drought or you can't go 100 meters outside of your home, in which case, don't how to fish. Does. But anyway, um, you get the idea. So matza, right? We said. About you know, there's no taste. It's not expanding. It's it's just as is. Well, that's because matzah is all about how Hashem is redeeming us and Hashem is saving us and Hashem is doing all the work. So then, yeah, we are poor. We are impoverished. The matzah represents our state. How if if it's about Hashem coming and giving to us? I'll answer that question at the end. If it's about Hashem coming and giving to us, then we're in a state of matzah. Uh, on four cups of wine, are once Hashem has kind of, uh, kind of finished the process, and then we've worked and we've grown, and we've actually risen to the occasion and become worthy of being his people, right? Then we are enriched, and that's the four, that's the dalet, which is working with the impoverished party to raise them up, okay? So the idea of three is, bringing something down to a level that the recipient can receive it, but not bothering yet, transfer responsibility to the recipient that they need to now grow and develop themselves. Whereas four represents the growth of the recipient on their terms. Now, I would just like to point out, how many forefathers do we have? Three, and how many mothers? Four. Because the forefathers represent God giving, right? Others represent the Jewish people growing and developing, right? This is just the thing physically, right? right? The idea of growth is just associated with the female, the mother. Okay, there's a question here, one second. Are we clueless doing the matzah though that was preempted by our willingness? Or are we aware that God is doing the work and that we're just not part of it? Well, I mean, there's degree, within matz itself, there's degrees. So you could be totally clueless, um, and people are, or you could be aware that it's God doing the work, and yours to work on your willingness and and, and your your submissiveness. Um, so I mean, there's a range in that, but it's definitely not that you're supposed to be appreciating that uh, what's going on. It's much like you know. When you're learning your ABCs, some kids are really enthusiastic about learning their ABCs and following along the teacher. And other kids, you know, it's a challenge, but nobody is offering their opinion about the linguistic structure language at that point, right? Because they're not really, a. Uh, you know. And it would be quite odd for being saved by the lifeguard to tell the lifeguard that he thinks that his breaststroke could use some work, right? <laughs> Okay. Now, you'll all know that the matzah is a biblical commandment. It's a God-given commandment, whereas the four cups of wine are a rabbinic commandment, something was instituted by the rabbis, right, by the Jewish people. Um, and in general, the, the, the words of, the, of God are considered to be the guidance of our fathers. There's a verse that says that we should, in the Musar Avicha, the guidance of our father. And that's a reference to the, to the Torah as is given by God, and nor should we abandon the Torah of our mother Torah, and that's representing the, the wisdom of the sages. So the four cups of wine, they're four, and they're instituted by the sages because it's all about the growth of the Jewish people themselves, whereas the matzah is three and is a biblical command because it's all about what God is doing and how we are passive recipients. Right? So what it actually means is that there's actually two aspects of this relationship. There's following God and then God handing over the responsibility for our growth. Following God is matzah. Handing responsibility for our growth is the wine. Now, someone asked, and this is the correct question, is how are we able to drink the wine in Pesach? And the answer is, this is not our first Pesach. There were no four cups of wine when they were, but we are after the, Torah, after the giving of the Torah. And so our Pesach is people growing in, and beginning at the same time. The night of the Seder is actually a, a night full of this tension that on the one hand, celebrating that we've already been redeemed, right? We've had a whole year's worth of Torah and mitzvahs, right? That we've been celebrating, etc. cetera. On the other hand, this is the beginning of something new. And so the, 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 the issue of Pesach, and there actually is a very timer um, where the ever discusses this, but the idea is that Pesach the, the is, is that even the person who's achieving the greatest amount of growth based on all that has happened up until now, and they appreciate that, also for starting the process again from the beginning, from scratch. And so... On Pesach, we're drinking the four cups of wine because we have become God's people and we do appreciate what we're doing and we have grown, right? And we have been redeemed. In the matzah, because in some sense, we're still enslaved and we're still subjugated. We need to be saved and we need to be redeemed. Right? And that's kind of the, I don't know if you want to call it the the or the beauty, I guess it depends on your particular biases of the night of the seders, that you have both of these aspects together. All right, and I think that takes it to that. Um, if anybody is interested in looking at the source, it is a sikh, this is a more a sikh of the Rebbe um, in volume six of Vakutei um, Sikhahs in Parshas Ve'era. It's in Yiddish. I'm sure there's a Hebrew and English translation somewhere out there in the world, but I don't know where it is. So, everyone should have a kosher and a happy Pesach, and um, and everyone should stay healthy. 26, 26, volume 26. Are you going to continue this class next Monday? Uh, it is possible. I am going to do that with Mrs. Gestetner. Um, if, if many people want the class, then that's more of a reason to do it. Great. Thank you. I am stuck at home, you know. So. <laughs> there were like 60 people here. All right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Um, Thank you. Again, have a wonderful day. Thank, 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 the- Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.